A wild week two includes the Texas Longhorns knocking off the Alabama Crimson Tide. Miami standing up for the ACC and a bad beat to end all bad beats in Lubbock. All this and more right here on the Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Guys, it was a wild week two Saturday. It was a rain delayed week two Saturday <laughs> full of full of just all kinds of things. I mean, gosh, it, it felt like uh, any abnormality you could have in a football game, whether it be weather or otherwise, happened. And uh, we've got a ton to talk about here. Week two's recap right here on the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. Uh, fellas, a lot to digest. This was a entertaining week as, as they come. I think it lived up to the billing, lived up to the hype that we built for it this week. And as we're recording, it's still not over. I mean, Trey, we've got try boxes going on above our yeah. heads right now. Pack yeah. 12 after dark, baby. Um, Initial initial impressions, like you, you step back, you look at the ESPN score bug that may or may not be working. What stands out to you? I mean, from sunup to sundown and now after dark, we just had amazing windows of games, right? It lived up to the hype from the 11 a.m. kickoffs now after dark. And guys, as I'm reflecting on this week, number one, it lived up to the hype, and that's fantastic. You love when a week like this has multiple top build matchups, lives up to the hype. There's great games from sunup to sundown, but doesn't it feel like we're starting to get a little bit more parity in college football? I know it's one week. I know we don't want to overreact to just the first two weeks of the season. We could look up at the end of the year in November and still have some of the same teams up at the top. But between some of our stalwarts of the sport starting a little bit slow, um, I'm looking at Georgia. I'm looking at Ohio State. I'm looking at a couple other teams. And some new blood, uh, maybe old blood to some, but new blood in this generation of college football starting to take the reins a little bit. Miami coming back, Texas having a big win today. It just feels like we're starting to get a little bit more parity and some more teams starting to state their claim to that top tier of college football. And that's really exciting, regardless of who you root for. I think that's really exciting and good for the sport. Well, and what I said last week was, you know, I was really excited by the results because it showed that there's some new teams coming up and the transfer portal is really a thing where you can build your team and, you know, really change things one year to the next and even out some of the talent. And I think we really saw that on display this week where a lot of teams that have taken advantage of the transfer portal ended up being the, the beneficiaries at the end of it all to, you know, come out on top especially looking at what Colorado did. I know we'll talk about them in a little bit, but Colorado, man, they might actually be legit. Yeah. There's a chance. Uh, certainly a, a slow start from Colorado, but ultimately they dominate Nebraska. We'll get into that and a bunch of other headlines uh, coming up. But first of all, have to let you know, of course, this episode and all episodes brought to you by our partnership with the Transfer Portal CFB. Head on over to the Transfer Portal CFB 
website. You can find all kinds of coverage, pregame coverage, postgame coverage, analysis, power rankings, etc., uh, all on the website. We write a weekly article for them, Headlines in Review, that comes out on Monday mornings. Uh, think of it as your your sports page, your digital sports page. That is free 99 is all other sports pages are going paid. This one is not. This is for the love of the game. Also, Garrett, if you want to run the banner, uh, thanks to our friends over at homefieldapparel.com. The deals continue to roll in. You guys continue to love buying retro gear and uh, amazing looking college apparel from Homefield. Uh, we've got numerous items from their collections in our own closets. And of course, the best part, if you are a first-time buyer, you can use our code 3TechPod and get 15% off. If you are a return buyer, like I know many of you are, you can head on over to our Twitter account, uh, find that tweet, um, and use our link. You get a discount off of that purchase as well. But gentlemen, um, a lot to get into, a long run sheet on deck for tonight. It starts... With our game of the week, the Texas Longhorns went to Tuscaloosa. We debated about it, whether or not Alabama would uh, be able to win this even by multiple scores or if Texas truly could pay off the hype. And guys, the Longhorns finally did win a big game, 34-24, the final score as they knock off the tide. Um, This is a game that Texas really felt like they were in control in from the very get-go. They scored first. They held a 13-6 lead at half. And Quinn Ewers had his breakout game, right? There were kind of two paths that Quinn could go down. He could either step up and and truly have his statement game, or he could maybe lose his job and struggle against a talented Alabama secondary. And instead, Quinn had his moment. Throws for over 395 yards, I believe. A couple of touchdowns as well. Did not turn the football over. Guys, dare I say, Texas was the better team on the field tonight. And it showed, I think they could have won this by even more than just 10 points. Um, I didn't have the stones to outright say, yes, I'm putting this in writing that Texas will win the game on the preview. I was certainly vocal about that, leaning towards that happening in the preseason and did take Texas plus the seven. Um, I think Jalen Milrow got exposed tonight, guys. I really do. I, I feel like he is not the quarterback that a lot of Bama backers were talking him up to be this week he had a couple of good throws but ultimately Trey let's start with you Quinn was the better quarterback uh by by far on the field and you know in these big time games sometimes that's what it takes to come out on top yeah absolutely because going into this back in our preview show this week I said I was picking Alabama because I just hadn't seen that killer instinct from Texas under Sark yet we've seen him play really close games thinking back to the Alabama game last year especially but they just haven't been able to finish it. They haven't developed that tenacity that whatever, you know, winning characteristic is that winning teams have and teams that are just a step below that don't quite have. So they finally showed it tonight. And that's a big, big step in the right direction. Credit to Coach Sark, credit to that whole team for getting in there and getting the job done. They had a lot of advantages in this game. The scheme was fantastic. You know, there were, there were a couple times and we were texting back and forth, you know, a couple times where it was teetering there in the second half, right? When Alabama goes up 16, 13, you're like, oh, here we go again with a Sark coach Texas team or really with a post 2009 Texas team where they look really, really good. And then just the bottom falls out, but credit to them right after that, they answer with the TD. They score 14 points in uh, 15 seconds. I think it was 
the graphic said right after that, uh, cashing in on a really, really bad Jalen Milrow interception. Terrible. And you're absolutely right, Mitch. Quinn Ewers was the better quarterback tonight, and Jalen Milrow, uh, if you, that graphic said it all. I think they threw for barely over 100 yards tonight. And that's just not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done against Texas. It's not going to get it done in the heat of the SEC race either for Alabama. So my alarm bells are ringing extremely loud for the Crimson Tide as they go into this SEC season, because if that's the product that they're going to put on the field, it's going to be a season way, way worse than we've seen in Tuscaloosa in a long, long time. And I don't think Alabama fans are quite ready for that. Yeah, guys. uh, I don't know if y'all heard, but Texas is two and oh, that's what they said on the broadcast. They're trying to do anything, but say Texas is back or try to (laughs) blow it out of proportion. But if you listen to the commentary at the end of the game, they were really trying to blow it out of proportion. Like, this is such a trans- transitional win for this program. They've needed something like this. They hadn't- and, look, it was an incredible win. But, look, I- we overreacted to week one a little bit. I- I'm refusing to overreact to this one. It was a fantastic win from Texas. Quinn Ewers, I, I said this would be his legacy game in the offseason. And I think that stands to reason that that's, that's going to help him you know, with his career at Texas, this is a, a massive win for him to to kind of put up there and say, look, I can be the guy, right? There were some questions about him in the offseason and his consistency, and I was up at the front as one of his better critics, but he played a fantastic game, threw for 350 yards almost, was, I mean, he stayed upright, which is incredible. I mean, the defensive front did nothing for Alabama. The offensive line played a heck of a game keeping Quinn upright and giving him enough time to throw the ball down the field. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a massive step in the right direction for the Longhorns. And if you're Alabama, you got to ask yourself, like, but we, we've heard the rumblings, right? And it seems like the last, you know, a couple of years is things haven't quite gotten the way that they wanted to go. And they say, well, Georgia's won a couple back-to-back championships. And Bama, you really hadn't done all that much in the last couple of years. And, well, now your quarterback isn't what he was. And Tommy Reese, maybe he's not the offensive coordinator of your dreams. Is this the end for Bama? I'm not going to say it's the end, that they'll never win another championship or whatever, but I think it's time to start talking about, you know, they didn't look like Bama. They didn't look like what we've come to expect Bama to look like the last, you know, five, ten years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if this continues, I wonder about their ability to get through an SEC schedule, right? There's some good teams in the SEC, definitely some flawed teams, right? Texas is the best team, or at least based on the eye test that they played so far and probably the best they'll play this year, but I mean, there's some good teams on that schedule who can take advantage of this, who can, who can play good defense against them and take advantage of this going forward. So they've, they got to figure some stuff out in a hurry. I doubt they go back to Milrow as the passer, I guess, long-term. I think that you might see a little bit of a, a tryout next week on the field for, for a couple of the other guys, see if somebody else can bring a little bit of juice to this offense. Cause man, they got to figure something out in that quarterback room. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's not that Milrow can't pass in, in just one correction. Milrow threw for, for 255. Bama only rushed okay. for 107 yards. Gotcha. So, um, just flip those numbers around. But the point remains, like it wasn't good enough to get the job done, right? Because for every 
punch that Alabama threw, Texas counterpunched within seconds, it felt mm-hmm. like. like as soon and with as that Alabama maker too. They they were punching back a lot harder than Bama was punching. Exactly. Every moment that Alabama felt like, okay, now now here it's here here comes the win, right? Here comes the wave of momentum. Texas had an answer. And, and credit to Steve Sarkeesian, credit to Pete Kwiatkowski for putting together a phenomenal defensive game plan. The freshman Anthony Hill was all over the field. He spied Jalen Milrow for much of that game. And, uh, you know, Alabama gave up 22 sacks all of last year. They gave up five tonight. Uh, Their offensive line struggled. The penalties killed Alabama. It cost them a touchdown at the end of the first half. There were just moments where it felt like Alabama was extremely frazzled in this game, and yet they were at home. They were in the comfortable territory. It was Texas that had all the pressure on them on the road, uh, and yet this really did feel like the coming-out party for Quinn Ewers. We've, we've had questions about his consistency his entire career, and tonight was his statement game. Uh, Garrett, you included um, the the tight end Jatavian Sanders on there, five catches for a buck fourteen. He had a massive fifty yard long touch, or not a touchdown, but a grab that uh, that really helped kind of put Texas in the catbird seat here. That's a name that I feel like most people don't don't know. He was the number one athlete coming out of the, uh, the recruiting class a couple of years ago out of the state of Texas, a Denton Ryan guy. Um, and it's been fun to see him find his true place. He was a he was a defensive guy. It didn't Ryan. Texas turned him into a tight end, and it really does seem like he's blossoming. So, guys, with that, Texas uh, answers a lot of questions. Alabama only raises more questions. Which is more of the accurate take that Texas is? A national championship contender in this game proves it, or this game proves that the Alabama dynasty is crumbling. Garrett, let's start with you. I This might be the, the hotter of the two takes. I think it has more to do with Bama going in the wrong direction. And that's not to take anything away from what Texas did. Texas played a hell of a football game and did really, really well tonight. And let's not take away anything from that. But let's not pretend that this is the Bama of old. Let's not pretend this is the same Bama. This might have been the knockout punch to Bama's dynasty. Like they, we might see where they go from here and things might crumble and the team might fold and, you know, anything can happen in today's college football. We just talked about the transfer portal. If things go south and team culture gets bad, then, I mean, you could see a, a flood of exits at some point. We've seen that with lots of programs in the past and things go wrong. But I, I mean, I think this has more to do with the fact that, you know, Saban was not able to hire fantastic coordinators to replace the last couple that left. He hasn't been able to put as good of a quarterback on the field. It doesn't seem like the the players are at the same level that they have been in the past. And you, you can say that they're, you know, adjusting or whatever. But I think, Trey, me and you, we were watching this game towards the end. And we, we watched a, a four-man front just basically bum rush the Bama O-line and, and get around the corner. And even though one of the guys is getting held, he came up with the sack. It, it just – it's not – as competitive as it once was. It doesn't seem as imposing, right? And, and Mitch, kind of to your point, you talked about how every time it felt like Bama was going to come up, Texas had an answer. That's not how Bama used to roll. Bama used to find your little mistakes and exploit you for that, right? They would find the the little place where you didn't convert on the third down, and then they would extend it. They would do a little thing here, a little thing there, and and just find a way to add seven points on the board, add, you know, 10 points on the board, and, and kind of do that. I don't think that's where Bama is anymore, they might be able to recapture it, 
but that's just not who they are anymore. So Texas is really good. I want to see him maybe play against some of the better teams that we've seen this year, right? Put him up against like a, a Notre Dame or a Michigan or a Florida State. Uh, I think they can compete with those teams, but let me check them against some of the best of the best before I judge them on a, a on a national scale. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a long roller coaster season for Texas, and I don't mean that that they're going to go seven and five. I'm not saying that they're going to lose a lot of games. I think that they are going to win a ton of football games. And they very well could be a national title contender. I'm still a little bit in wait and see mode just because of what you're saying, Garrett. I don't think, listen, all, all off season, the, the national narrative about Alabama was, yeah, they, they have, you know, quarterback issues. Yeah. It does look a little iffy on the surface offensively. Yeah. They're losing a lot of star players on both sides of the ball and they haven't to rely on a lot of unproven talent, but come on, it's Nick Saban. Come on, it's Nick Saban. You're really going to bet against Nick Saban? That was the national narrative that I heard all throughout preview season. And mm-hmm. I feel like on this podcast, we were kind of beating the drum of like, yeah, Nick Saban's amazing, but you still need the Jimmys and Joes. And that's what's kind of made Nick Saban Nick Saban over the course of this year. That's a fantastic image right there. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, that kind of says it all. Picture says a thousand words if you're watching on YouTube. We've got. I like, uh, I like this guy. Yeah, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we've got Jalen Milrow on the phone with Tommy Reese up in the booth, and it is just uh, – I don't know what Jalen's trying to explain, but Tommy is not buying it. and is Not having it. Full, full face palm. Uh, Neither <laughs> um, of them have answers right now. Yeah, so gr- great shot there from the broadcast. But that's kind of where Alabama's at right now, isn't it? Like, I we, we heard that all offseason. You're really going to bet against Nick Saban? You're really going to bet against Nick Saban? I personally feel vindicated for betting against Nick Saban a little yeah. bit and kind of sounding the alarm that this might not be a very good Alabama team this year behind um, the quarterback room. Now they could make a change at quarterback and turn all, turn things around, right? We saw that in the middle of a national championship game for Nick Saban. They could go 11 and one. They could win the next 11. They could beat Georgia in the SEC championship and they could be right back in the playoff. That is still on the table for Alabama. But if you're asking me right now, is it more likely that they go eight and four or eleven and one? Uh, I'm putting my money on eight and four after what I saw on the field yeah. tonight. So the SEC is wide open. There's not really an SEC team that scares me right now. If I'm just looking, especially in the West, but Alabama's in trouble, guys. Like I, I I'm, I'm willing to go on the record and say that Alabama is in trouble if they don't get this quarterback situation figured out now. Next year, they could get the best guy out of the portal, and we could all just be, you know, laughing at ourselves for doubting right. Nick Saban because Nick Saban's going to find a way to stay on top until he finally does retire, decide to retire. So look for him to be very aggressive in the portal this next offseason if they don't get it figured out with who's on the roster. But I'm worried about Alabama. Now, on Texas, I, I really don't want to sound like a Texas hater because they did a fantastic job today. And they, they deserve all the credit in the world for going into Tuscaloosa. The number of teams, you can count on one hand, the number of teams that have beaten Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa uh, throughout his whole tenure at Alabama. So that is a fantastic job by the Longhorns. They are, you know, right on track to have a fantastic season that their fans base has been waiting for, that the national college football landscape has been waiting for. And they can definitely do it. I think they have finally have the talent. Quinn's finally shown it it's always going to be about consistency for the Longhorns. I'm really interested to see the next few weeks, how they respond. Does the standard stay high or was this just a high one-off game? 
In the past, it's been a high one-off game, and I think the most honest Texas fans would agree with that, that we've seen these one-off highs before. If they can build that consistency, watch out. They're absolutely a national championship contender if they can get that consistent play week in in and week out. The only thing that I'm concerned about with Bama and and finding a quarterback is, Trey, they had the chance to do that this offseason, right? Go into the portal and pluck whoever the top guy was, uh, and we landed on – Tyler Buckner, who didn't even get into the game tonight. So, oof. we'll see. They've got some talented freshmen, too. They and do. They, those freshmen, yeah. Yeah, Dylan Longren, uh, Eli Holstein. I mean, they've got a stable of, of young Mustangs just kind of, you know, bucking, bucking in their in their stables right now. But not the guys that you want when, when you need to beat a, a top 12 team um, at home. So, Alabama, a lot of questions to answer. Texas, a lot of questions to answer, but more centered around, can they keep this up? Can they, week in, week out, prove that they won't go drop a fluky game to Baylor, that they won't go lose to Kansas here in a couple of weeks? That's what I'm focused on, Um, but I tell you what, I feel really good about taking Texas plus seven. I trusted my gut in this one, and, you know, it just it it felt like it's their time, right? Eventually... Um, eventually it was going to turn in favor of the Longhorns, and it did uh, for them tonight. The other team in the Lone Star State that grabbed headlines, uh, now I'm not talking about Rice. We'll get to them in just a little bit. Texas yeah, A&M. Let's talk Rice. Rice did a great job Rice today. Awesome. Let's talk about Double them. overtime victory in the Battle of the Bayou Bucket. Let's break down Rice for the next JT, Dan, you're right. He's a good quarterback. JT yeah. Daniels did throw for 400 yards. We'll mention Luke them in McCaffrey. a little bit. Uh, but we've got to face the music here, fellas. Texas A&M uh, has all the momentum early, and then they just fell apart against Miami. The Canes win 48-33. Um, the offense for A&M looked pretty good. I, I think Connor Wegman is QB1 for the foreseeable future. I mean, he is as good a quarterback as A&M has come in here in, a, in quite some time, but the problem was the defense was atrocious today. And... You know, obviously, as AM fans, we were talking back and forth as this game went along. Um, to, to me, guys, the blame falls squarely on the shoulders of DJ Durkin. I thought his play calling was terrible. Um, and the secondary is, is not going to be a strength of this team. I mentioned that in the preview. That was why I took Miami plus the points. I thought AM would win this game, but I was concerned about the corner's ability to stop Tyler Van Dyke from throwing downfield. They didn't today. Xavier Restrepo got all that he wanted and more. Um, Colby Young, tight end slash wide receiver from New York, got all he wanted and more. AM couldn't tackle. They weren't in the right position. They couldn't get pass rush. And some of that is certainly on the players, right? They got to execute. But, but Garrett, the play calling was abysmal from DJ Dirk. And again, we kept seeing three-man fronts. And I feel like if there's going to be a coaching change at some point during the season, if A&M is going to have another disappointing year, uh, Durkin will be the first scapegoat to go. Right. And it it was frustrating to watch, obviously, as a fan. But at the same time, it's just it's frustrating to watch as a fan of football to watch an entire unit go completely unchanged through the course of a game and to not try to adjust and to not try to mark an extra guy or something else like that. I'm going to throw the stats back up on the screen. If you look at these stats just offensively, you, you'll see obviously there's some similarities. AM actually played pretty well on offense, almost matched total yardage. Uh, Wingman was right up there with Van Dyke in terms of yards passing. 
Um, and it actually outrushed the Hurricanes, but the turnovers weren't great. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you can't get anywhere if you don't convert on 10 of your third down. So um, certainly not spotless on the offensive side of the ball, but this had way more to do with the fact that Miami came out there with a, a, an amazing offensive performance and Tyler Van Dyke was almost unstoppable. This was a true Tyler Van Dimes moment, right? This is re really where he decided to excel. Um, and the thing is, they didn't really do that much. I mean, they did hit a couple shots over the top, but most of what they did was just the sideline to sideline, hit a screen and watch the guy run. And the tackling on the perimeter was not there for the Aggies. And and I I don't think that it's a skill thing because those guys are clearly talented. Most of them have been highly recruited. Most of them have high ratings. It, it's not a skill thing. It just has to be a coaching thing, right? If you don't do the fundamentals right, if you can't tackle on the perimeter, if you can't you know, get into something and not over pursue a rush lane. So a guy cuts back and he's got nothing but green, right? It's, it's just the little things that you got to do, right? Additionally to that, Miami dominated the line of scrimmage. AM could not get pressure all day on the defensive side of the ball. And when it came to the offense, there were so many moments of just unchecked free rushers heading straight in to go hit Connor Wigman. I'd love to, you know, go find it, but I didn't actually look this number up, but just total times that he got hit or pressures or something like that. I'd love to see the pressure present because it's got to be up near 50%. They they pressured him on almost every single play. So um, you, you really have to go hats off to Miami. They played a fantastic game. They came out with a, a good game plan. They clearly saw something they knew. But, man, this is just flat out A&M got out coached. It wasn't that they didn't have the dogs to run in this one. It's not that they didn't have players clearly stepping up and trying to do their best and, and make plays. There were a lot of spots where – Players across the field for AM wanted to make plays, but they got out coached. Miami came out there, straight up out coached them. They, they did a much better job, had a much better game plan, put their players in a better position to succeed. I'll pull up a couple of these individual players here, but yeah, Van Dyke, 21 for 30, 374, five touchdowns. Restrepo was a problem for the Aggies. A lot of those yards coming after the catch, six catches, 126 yards, set up a couple of different scoring drives. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I think you have to go hats off to Miami. They clearly had the better coaching staff today. Uh, Cristobal and his staff outdid Jimbo, and I, I think you just have to acknowledge that off the front end. Yeah, and listen, my we, we slept on Miami a little bit. I think, you know, leading up to this, we talked about the question was, who has done more to fix the issues that led to a 5-7 and seven season last year? Is it Texas A&M or is it Miami? And we all three kind of agreed that it was A&M just through week one. And what we learned today is that Alabama, or uh, excuse me, Miami has done a lot to fix the issues that led to five and seven last year. And that starts with Tyler Van Dyke. I don't know if it was soul searching. I don't know if he went and talked with his mom that apparently, I don't know if you guys heard this, but her water broke while she was taking the bar exam. Um, if you were, if you didn't watch that game, that yeah, was what a strange Tyler. thing to decide to chime in with during the broadcast. They spent yeah. an unusual amount of time talking about how his mom's water broke while she was taking the bar. But she passed the test. I mean, I mean guys, no, congratulations. That's amazing. But I don't even. feel like I should know that story personally. It was a strange. <laughs> it was a strange story. To, well, and, and then and to like, revisit it, to retell yeah, they, it a couple times once is fine. But we, we talked about it three or four. Times. Joe Test was like borderline, uh, borderline the Bama girlfriend in that national championship <laughs> game about that story. It was getting a little creepy. But listen. It, Tyler Van Dyke, it was a big, big Phoenix rising from the ashes game from him. And hats off to him for 
you know, he took a lot of criticism last year. He had a lot of deserved criticism last year for the way that he handled the adversity of that five and seven season, but he looks to be locked in. He looks to be ready to go. And they're scheming up amazing opportunities for him. They are really using their skill position players really well today. They had a perfect match for what DJ Durkin wanted to throw out there. And Mitch, you're absolutely right. DJ Durkin's performance was despicable in this game. No adjustments, no creativity, no trying to use your best players and the best. Like for everything we said about how LSU used Harold Perkins, like multiply that by 11 because mm-hmm. DJ Durkin looked like he had never seen the roster that he was putting out on the field today. And he was just throwing guys out there and just going to call random plays like he picked a random team on Madden. So, it, I mean, we're getting a little emotional as fans here of the AM program, but it was frustrating to see. It was frustrating to see the lack of adjustments. I, I personally am encouraged by the AM offense. I think the AM offense still showed a lot today. Wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They definitely could have done more to help uh, put that game away early when they had the opportunities to. But, you know, 33 points would have been their second best output last year. And it's on the road in uh, an environment that was more hostile than they were expecting it to be. So I think the offense still has a lot of hope if you're an AM fan. I think that you can still have a lot of hope in the offense. Connor Wegman looked really fantastic, even though he was under pressure quite a bit today. But the defense, they're not going to get anywhere with this defense. They might make a bowl game, but they're, they're not going to be anywhere near uh, competing for anything of consequence if the defense stays like this. I, I saw a tweet that was the, said the good news is most of the problems today are fixable. The bad news is you're relying on a Texas A&M defensive staff to fix those problems. And, you know, that's just true, right? Like since Mike Elko has gone to Duke, there's obviously been a noticeable decrease in kind of the overall continuity of that defensive side of the ball. And that is a huge credit to what Mike Elko did. He was one of the best in the business still is obviously just now as a head coach, but A&M knew that they had a gym in Elko and they fought tooth and nail to keep him. He was the highest defensive or highest paid defensive coordinator in the country before moving on to Duke when he found his opportunity. So Certainly something that AM has to address internally. The tackling was just abhorrent uh, this afternoon. It was really frustrating watching guys just throw shoulders into receivers. And, you know, guess what? They're going to bounce right off and continue down the field for yep. 10, 15, 20 yards, right? Um, it, it's shocking to see that Miami only converted three of, I think it was three of nine or three of eight on third down. But that really shows you how few times AM's defense got them in those situations because it felt like any time Miami needed to extend the drive, they were able to, right? Um, for me, I think one of the, you know, Trey, you talked about the lack of adjustments. Miami harassed AM's offense with corner blitzes all day long. AM was not able to get any sort of blitz pressure on Tyler Van Dyke. I don't even know if we tried a corner blitz at any point today. Uh, it was very vanilla, very few stunts up the middle, no twists. Uh, it was just kind of hat on hat. And at times you were watching the defensive line just get stood up by a very talented Miami offensive line. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the score is what it is. Miami was the better team on the field. They defended home field. And uh, AM and Miami split their non-conference series. Guys, let's go to Lubbock. Um, I was all ready to sling the tortillas here tonight. I, I died on that bunker Hill after all. I 
made the call. Texas Tech. I since since the spring, I was saying that the Red Raiders were going to beat Oregon. Gosh darn it if it didn't almost happen. But one of the worst bad beats I've ever seen ended this game as the Ducks win 38-30. to 30. It was an offensive extravaganza. Um, Bo Nix had another great night. Boy, he is really turned into something special on the offensive side of the ball. He's gone from you know a guy that couldn't figure out how to get in the end zone at Auburn to you're kind of surprised that he only had two touchdown passes here tonight. Um, tech guys led this game and led it in a somewhat commanding fashion there in the third quarter. They were up 27 to 18, uh, but then you give up a 17 play drive. It feels like Oregon grabs some of that momentum right back. You turn it over on downs, Oregon adds a field goal. And just like that momentum's gone. And yet you had a chance to drive down the field to win this game. They were moving the football with 50 seconds left. They had one timeout left. It felt like the comeback was going to happen and that the Red Raiders were going to pull off this upset. And then Tyler Shuck threw a marshmallow of an interception as he was getting hit. And not only did Texas Tech lose the game, but we lost the cover in it as well. Uh, I had an opportunity to describe to my girlfriend what a bad beat was. Um, and that was not a fun experience. I looked forward to you guys saw the end of this game as well. What, what were kind of your takeaways from this? Again, I think, do you, do you put more stock in, hey, Oregon is really good, or do you, are you starting to believe that you know Texas Tech may not be as bad as what some of that overreaction was from week one? Well, I think Tech showed who they could be tonight. and I, I, They're not quite there yet, and they still have a lot of work to do. They still have some time to work out those kinks before the meet of their Big 12 schedule gets ahead of them, and I, I still believe that Tech has the pieces to do some real damage this year. Now, preseason, I was calling them to go to Arlington, and I was calling them all offseason to go to Arlington. I'm backing off that a little bit. I think that that they've got a lot of soul-searching to do to get to that ceiling, but th there's some pieces there to have a really, really good season. Nine, eight, nine wins is still very much on the table for them this year. I fully believe that. They, they were right there this, this game against one of the nation's most elite teams, a team that put up 70, 82 points last week. So Lubbock is a really tough place to play. I think if you're an Oregon fan looking for a takeaway from this game, you're very happy that you got out of there with a victory. Um, didn't have to look pretty. And, you know, and come playoff time, come resume building time, the committee's not going to care that you didn't, you know, go down there and win by three touchdowns. You took care of business on the road. We highlighted on the preview show how difficult that's been for Oregon over the last decade or so that they really, really struggle when they leave the Pacific Northwest in a non-conference game. And kudos to them for getting it done and, you know, figuring out a way to get out of Lubbock, a very tough place to play with a victory. But, you know, the better players and the better full team took care of business tonight. The plain and simple. Tech is getting there. Tech is building. Long term, we're still really high on Texas Tech, but Oregon's already there. Oregon has their team built. Oregon has the quarterback that's in his 10 millionth year of college football has done it at a high level at multiple schools now. And that experience won out at the end And tech had a, a couple chances at the end. You thought Tyler Shuck might have that revenge narrative working for him there at the end. And it was going to be a great storybook ending, but just wasn't meant to be tonight. Yeah. My big takeaway is just that Bo Nix is him and Oregon is coming in the PAC 12. They're there ready to to compete and do all that. I don't think there's any team that has been more impressive to me in terms of what I expected from them than Oregon in terms of the their their conference out there, right? USC 
they've been good. They're currently hanging about a million right now on, on Stanford. Um, poor and, Stanford. And, yeah, poor Stanford, man. It's tough for them. Um, Utah, obviously, they won their game today. We'll talk about that later. But, look, Oregon is doing things that I think are, are fairly impressive out there. They're, they're you know, they're, <clears throat> they are – I think when you look at Bo Nix, you look at the renaissance that he's having up there in Oregon. I think that that kind of experience is what will end up leading them through this schedule. Um, super impressed tonight, obviously, the 359. Let me pull the graphic up. 359 passing, two touchdowns, and 46 rushing yards to lead his team. Um, I, I just think that when you are that kind of quarterback, that's what's going to end up making the difference in these tough games. Because there were moments tonight when Oregon is not the better team, where they didn't have the momentum, where – Things were going against them, and Bonix just, you know, strapped his helmet back on and said, "Let's go. Let's let's do this again. Let's get back out there and finish." Um, and that's what ended up happening. The better team won, and you know, so so when I was looking through these stats, I was looking for, oh, was there like a remarkable stat somewhere else in this game? No, it's just Bonix. It's <laughs> plain and simple. Bonix is kind of the remarkable stat. I mean, even looking at some of their team stats, they have, you know, good amount of rushing yards. They didn't outrush Tech. Um, they barely out-totaled them in terms of yardage. They didn't turn the ball over. That's good. They didn't out-first down them. The Tech got more first downs. They didn't even convert their fourth down attempt. But they didn't turn the ball over. A lot of that has to do with the quarterback. And they threw for 359 yards and took care of their business. So go Oregon. I think they're coming for, you know, USC and, and Utah and whoever else you might think. Washington as well. That's going to be a fun game. I think you have to acknowledge the Ducks. The Ducks are on to something, man. They're, they're going to be a dangerous team. And if you're one of those teams in the Pac-12, you got to hear the footsteps at this point. They're they're playing well in the trenches. Now, they gave up almost 200 yards on the ground today. But Oregon and Dan Lanning have built that team with the trenches in mind. And, you know, as we've talked about numerous times on this show, that's how you have to win in today's day and age. That or you have to do something like Texas Tech tried to do which is just devalue the line of scrimmage, get the ball out quickly. And, you know, ultimately the way that game ends, uh, you know, a, a near sack that turns into a pick six. Um, I, I think we saw how important it is to have a good pass rush, to have a good offensive line that can give your quarterback time uh, to throw the football. Yeah, Tyler Shuck, he throws three interceptions. Uh, Texas Tech almost had an interception of their own. A controversial call it would have been a pick in the end zone and then a, yeah. a touchback. It turns into a field goal. I'm still not entirely sure why the booth didn't grant that as an interception to, to the Red Raiders. It looked like Bradford got his foot inbounds with control of the ball, but, um, you know, the replay ultimately ruled against it. I think on the field, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had ruled it an incomplete pass and, and basically said that they couldn't couldn't overturn it so you know ifs and buts uh texas tech comes up a little bit shy oh and two to start this season uh, those are our big three games our big three results right in let us know what your takeaways from those games were um how high are you on the texas longhorns are you in on the pac-12 being a legitimate threat to win a national title this year behind an oregon behind a usc uh, let us know at three tech pod on instagram and twitter as well Guys, other storylines to get to, though, today and what was a loaded slate of college football. Um, and I think we can stay kind of in the Pac-12 with a couple of these other storylines. Utah struggles with Baylor but gets away from the Bears in Waco 20-13. to They score two touchdowns in the final two minutes of the game to steal this one from the Bears. 
And then Colorado dominates Nebraska in the second half. They win 36-14. I'd like to thank the Buffs for the free money uh, on uh, the Colorado minus three line. I think, Garrett, you picked up a little bit of that action as well. But, uh, Trey, you look at these two storylines, what sticks out to you? Do you think Utah is is still a contender, and, and how high can Colorado go? Utah's absolutely still a contender. Uh, they're in survival mode until Cam Rising is able to get back. And the fact that they were able to knock off two Power 5 teams without their starting quarterback and having to make quarterback switches today, I, I'm not really sure. The offensive game plan for Utah was a little questioning to me, uh, frustrating to me a lot while I was watching that game today. Felt like you could, were getting 10 yards of carry when you handed it off to uh, Juwan, Juwan Johnson. Who's, Jaquan. Jaquan and Johnson, thank yeah. you. And they were getting 10 yards of carry when they were handing it off to him at points in that game. And they just were trying to get uh, Barnes and Nick Johnson to throw the ball for some reason. And eventually that worked out for them, but felt like they could have made it a little bit easier on themselves. But again, they survived. They, they 2-0 and against Power 5 competition without Cam Rising. That's a fantastic feat for them. And they're only going to get better when Cam Rising comes back. For Colorado, hats off to them for showing staying power. Uh, they had it was textbook letdown opportunity today. Rival coming into your home, you know, big win last week, emotional win last week. You, you're it's really easy to rest on your laurels, especially when everybody was doubting you all off season, and you have that big big moment to kind of shove in their faces. But they backed it up today. They had a tough start. They faced a lot of adversity in that first half. Nebraska was kind of bullying them. For a good chunk of that first half, they finally started to break through towards the end of the second quarter. But the second half, it was all it was all Colorado. It was uh, their skill players finally got free, and the offensive line started to gel just a little bit more. I am a little concerned about that offensive line. Uh, you know, as they get into the tougher yeah. part of their schedule with Oregon and USC and all these you know big physical teams that they're going to face, but for now, it's a really really fun story. The over under was three and a half. And I don't know that a lot of people had either TCU or Nebraska in that three and a half. So we're starting to be able to play with house money, but Colorado's not going to be satisfied with the house money. I think they're pushing for championship contention. It's going to be really fun to watch how far they can go in year one. Yeah. Thank you for validating that Utah pick, by the way, Trey. I I needed that validation right there that when Cam gets back, everything's going to be fine. It has been so defense is fine. The defense, right, they made Baylor look silly on the defensive side of the ball today. They they sure did. One, well, it's funny too because Robertson actually started the game pretty well for Baylor, and I texted y'all like, "Hey, they might have something here." And then just immediately after that, it's like they got two drives of film on them. They're like, "Oh no, we got this. We know what to it's do." It's like, wait, you're allowed to make adjustments in the middle of the game if you are. You are. <laughs> you are. I know. I'm going to call about that, Trey. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's allowed. Yeah. Uh, Robertson, you're right. Was did not did not play well in totality. It was his first career start, right. so got him a little bit of slack, I guess. But ten of twenty five, one hundred and sixty eight yards, um, two really bad interceptions that that kind of sunk the Baylor ship. Um, I was impressed by the Baylor defense, uh, yep. the way that they stood up, and, and yep. they really much better effort defense. today. Then absolutely yeah absolutely they had some juice early on but the offense just couldn't get anything going uh jaquinnon jackson was everything that we kind of expected him to be last week against florida uh over 125 yards rushing this week against baylor um nick johnson i liked i like seeing him he's definitely a playmaker has more of that dual threat ability than 
Bryson Barnes does. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm putting Utah officially a tier below USC and Oregon uh, from what I'm seeing. But again, they don't have Cam Rise and Brenton Keithy hasn't been healthy either. So I am interested to see what Utah looks like when they're fully operational. Yeah, things will get better when when uh, Cam returns. When Cam's back, th- things will get back up there. But right now, you're right. Like If he doesn't play for the rest of the season, then and I know that's not what's going to happen, but if he doesn't play for the rest of the season, then you're right. They're not on the same tier as Washington, as USC, as uh, as Oregon. Um, and it's just it's the reality of where they are right now. One more note on Colorado. I was really impressed with Shadur Sanders. I, I think I texted you all this a little bit, but Shadur really has something going on there. He's we we knew he had the talent. I was just expecting him to struggle more getting to that level. And not that he doesn't have the talent to do it, but just the, the way that the game rolls and the competition level, I, I thought there were going to be more struggles in his sort of warm up to it. And he certainly wasn't perfect. And his offensive line does not give him any favors, <laughs> but he does a really good job with his feet, really good job with, you know, kind of pocket awareness. And man, he can zip a ball. He, he can really throw the football. So I, I, I was very impressed with Shadur Sanders. I think he's, you know, he, he's going to be very good. What they can put around him is still kind of yet to be seen. Uh, on the other side, Jeff Sims, maybe not so good. Maybe maybe not Man. quite where Shadur Sanders is in his career. <laughs> I've I've never seen as many journalists call for the end of someone's tenure at a university than I did today when Jeff Sims was turning the football over. He couldn't handle a snap. He threw yeah. an interception. He fumbled twice and lost both of those fumbles. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska is not a bad team. We saw that in the first half. The defense looked competent. Now, the offense is a mess, uh, granted. They're going to have to build that from the studs. This is in the models, though. We told you Matt Rule takes his sweet time building the runway for his program. So that that I'm not concerned about. But you got to go to somebody else. I mean, we're not trying to lose games at Nebraska, right? There's no... There's no benefit to tanking in college. Yeah, we're not getting the first number one overall draft pick. (laughs) Get Jeff Sims off the dang field and put Chubba Purdy in because anything is better than what Sims is doing. At this point, you heard Joel Klatt talk about it. It's all mental. The kid is thinking about turning the ball over every single time he steps foot on the field, and then guess what? It happens. He finds a way to throw an interception. He finds a way to fumble away a snap. You know, Nebraska fans, I mean, I, I I feel for you. I really do because you have talented pieces around you, and I think you can win some games this season. You're not a bad football team in totality. You're a rebuilding football team, but Jeff Sims is a bad quarterback, and I, I think if you are going to win, it's not going to be with him under center. So, I think um, if, they, if they can find a way to, you know, give him – a couple gadget plays a game, I think he can be a very valuable piece for them. Cause you saw that today when he broke off that long touchdown run, you're sure. like, yeah, that's, that's why he's in that position. And they're not idiots to, you know, he's shown something at practice. They're not, they're not just throwing him out there because they know that right. he's going to tank them. So if they can find a way to get him involved for a few gadget plays, I think that would be the best situation for him. But I agree. They, they really need to find a solution to quarterback if they're, or they're it's just going to keep spiraling out of control. How about a couple of games where it got weird? Uh, First, let's go down to New Orleans. Ole Miss wins in a really interesting ball game that was much closer than this final score would appear. Uh, 37-20 over Tulane. 
uh, this was a back and forth game for the first, I don't know, three quarters or so. In fact, Tulane led at the half. It was 17 to 10. Kai Horton, the Carthage State champion here in East Texas, leading uh, Tulane down the field through a brilliant touchdown pass at the very end of the first half in relief of Michael Pratt, who, guys, I did not know he got hurt at the end of that South Alabama game. And I will I will stick up for us here. Maybe some of you in retrospect are going, oh, you didn't do your research. Nobody in the national media was talking about it either. Nothing, no yeah. preview that I read had Michael Pratt in doubt for this game. So It was this uh, morning when ESPN reported it that everybody was like, oh, crap, can, we might have to adjust our predictions yeah. here. He I had just replied to – yeah, I had just replied to a bold predictions thread from our podcast Twitter that Tulane was going to win this game. And yep. literally like five minutes later, this news came out. And I was like, well, okay. Still, it was close. 17 yeah. minutes at the half, right? But then the wheels fall off. They get outscored 27-3, if my math is correct, in the second half. Uh, guys, the second half drives for Tulane. We don't necessarily do a drive chart that's other podcast things, but... Uh, this one was special. Tulane in the second half went punt, turnover on downs, punt, interception, downs, field goal, downs, end of game. Um, that is not how you hold on to a lead at home against a Power 5 opponent. Uh, and Ole Miss capitalized. Jackson Dart rallied. He stepped up in the second half. Listen, last year I was – I think we were all out on Jackson Dart. He has stepped up. He's improved his game. He's held off competition from the other 82 quarterbacks that are in that room. <laughs> and he had a good game today. Two touchdowns, 267 yards through the air. Um, you know, I don't think this is a, a negative on Tulane. In fact, I think this is stock up for Ole Miss. Yeah, they Guys, got out athleted at the end of the day, but they they went into Tulane's house and played a really, really good game. That, that's all that really happened. They came in there. They finally have a real passing attack, I think, that – you know, that, that was something that were missing last year. And then obviously they leaned on Quinshawn Judkins. And well, if you're going to lean on a running back, it might as well be Quinshawn Judkins. But, you know, it, they might have a passing attack this year. They might be doing something right over there. And, you know, for Tulane, it, when you're missing your starting quarterback, especially someone like that, it, it's going to be an issue. Um, so I don't necessarily fault them for their second half drive chart. It, it was spectacularly bad. Um, it, it was really, really bad in the second half for Tulane. But you have to think if it's if it's Pratt out there as opposed to Horton, who, you know, valiant effort in relief. But, you know, if it's Pratt out there, you have to think they keep this one a lot closer. Do we need to start talking to our loved ones about SEC West champion Ole Miss? No, because, no, 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 no. I mean, that might be Actually, who's looked better than Ole Miss through two weeks, though? Who's, Listen, who's looked better than Ole Miss in the SEC West? That is not a I would like to refrain from to have. I Listen, president of the Lane Kiffin Hater fan club right here, but got to give credit where it's due. It was a big win today. That was huge. Yeah, I, they've looked really, really good so far. Defense looked asleep at the wheel in that first half, and, and they bowed up in the second half. I, I will give them credit for that. Um Ole Miss held under 100 yards rushing on the day. Quinchon Judkins, he, you know, he had two touchdowns against, you know, directional state sisters of the poor last week. Um, he did not break out this week, though, and I think that's more credit probably to Tulane. They key, you know, they keyed in on him. And they sure did. They, they stacked the box and said, you are not going to beat us. 
on the ground. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that develops is once again, teams have tape teams have the ability to make adjustments shocker in game. Uh, I don't think Quinshawn Judkins is going to be reeling off 300 yard games. At least we hope not uh, in the near future, but um, Ole Miss, their offense is, is absolutely very real. And the fact that Jackson Dart not only can operate that offense, but also keep the other quarterbacks off the field, I think is a big point in favor of the rebels. Um, guys, let's go up to the Palouse. I told you it was going to get weird up there. Now I'm waiting <laughs> on my parlay. I'm I, I hit leg one of the three stepper. Um, right now as we're recording this, I'm anxiously seeing if Oklahoma state can get in the end zone again, try and cover that spread against Arizona state. Auburn's losing right now to Cal. Yeah. I need them to step on the gas just a little bit. And what was, I don't think any of us had a defensive slugfest queued up in that game. If anything, I thought it was going to be points galore. But this after dark slate has been weird, man. I like yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, you catch me chuckling a few times every time I just look up to my screen on the left. It's been something to watch, watch these yep. two games unfold. USC continues to dominate, but I mentioned we got weird on the Palouse today. Washington State 31, Wisconsin 22. Uh, Trey, I texted you this. I, I said I feel bummed by this outcome because I predicted Wisconsin to be a good team and to go to the, the Big Ten Championship game as the representative of the West, and they certainly can do that. But the fact is, Dairy Raid has to get more plays under its belt because Phil Longo's experiment up there in Wisconsin, it's just its not gelling right now. They didn't blow out Buffalo last week. They certainly didn't do anything impressive offensively here today, only scoring 22 points against Washington State. I, I will say it was interesting because I picked Washington State to win this game because of what I thought they would do explosively on the offense. I talked about Ben Arbuckle, the, the boy wonder, who's their offensive coordinator. Uh, Cam Ward only threw for 212 yards and two touchdowns. It's not like the Cougars bludgeoned Wisconsin into submission. In fact, it was the defense that won this game for the Cougars. Three lost fumbles for Wisconsin ultimately doomed them. Mordecai was fine, but Wisconsin not getting to 100 yards in, in total rushing attack was really kind of the death nail. The fumbles, obviously. And then, I, I, guys, I was really impressed. Uh, the law firm of Stone and Jackson, I told you about them in the preview. They're really, really solid off the edge. Really kind of unsung heroes. I like what Washington state has. Uh, and, you know, listen, as we project forward to the future two member pack 12, they could be a real powerhouse. <laughs> yeah. I think I like their chances to get to the Rose bowl every year in the two year pack 12 <laughs> or two member pack 12, but they're also just taking out their frustrations on the big 10, right? They saw this as sure. their opportunity to just, you know, take out all the programs frustrations on that conference. Uh, and Wisconsin was just, you know, dead man walking at that point, but yeah, the turnovers were the story here for me at Wisconsin had every opportunity to take over this game in the second half. Wisconsin had every opportunity to put this one away in the second half. And it, the moment was just too big for them right now. I think you're absolutely right. The offense just isn't gelling yet. I think it'll get there. I think they have too many talented guys on offense for it to not get there. Got a lot of kinks to work out right now. Obviously, the team that they struggled with last week, Buffalo, lost to an FCS team today, so that's not a good look. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. 
I'm I'm not I'm not giving up on Wisconsin yet. It's minor setback for a long term big game. Well, and they're going through such a massive shift in their identity. Yeah. This was like the the held back, right? We're just going to run the ball, clouds of dust. All of our running backs are elite, and now they're trying to run a very different type of offense. That's not going to change in one season, right? And so, like, give them some time; they'll adjust to it. It'll be fine. But that being said, I don't have a bunch more to add on Washington State, but I do have a question. Do you think they looked up to Seattle at that point and were like, "Is this what you wanted?" Right. <laughs> yeah. They're clearly over there just, you know, hey, I'll beat up on your new league mates. Am I good enough for you? Right. Like uh, good for them. Right. I feel great for them being able to go beat up a Big Ten team. Um, I'm yeah. rooting so hard for Washington State and Oregon State this year. Oh, for sure. They have they have no reason to be left behind in all of this, but they, they just drew the short straw. Right. Well, so Friday, uh, the their lawyers kind of news dumped a lawsuit that they filed against the rest of the members of the Pac-12, they're they're saying that these members are jeopardizing, you know, kind of the the assets um, of the conference and and trying to forcibly seize those by taking value away from the conference. So Washington State and Oregon State are saying, "Hey, you're you're like intentionally harming the value that we're all creating here. We would like to be protected from this." And so I saw a tweet from Stuart Mandel that said. Uh, you know, when when Washington State said they wanted to take control of the Pac-12, I didn't know this is what they meant. Uh, <laughs> it, it was an impressive showing from from the Cougars, and uh, you know, I think Ben Arbuckle is is only going to keep impressing folks. Again, the defense really did it this week, but uh, stock up on on Washington State as a team that nearly avoided or did avoid near disaster was the North Carolina Tar Heels at home taking on Appalachian State, who everybody remembers the shootout from a season ago, the 63-61 win when nary a defensive snap was played. Guys, this was a nobody-wants-to-put-the-ball-in-the-end-zone kind of game all the way until the fourth quarter. Uh, The final score was 40-34 and double overtime in favor of the Tar Heels, uh, but it went to extra time at 27 apiece and even that was kind of an explosion of offense at the very end um the best part of this game without a doubt was north carolina setting up for a 39 yard field goal with two seconds left and app state calling a timeout as the duck hook of all duck hooks missed the 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 field goal post app state you know head head in in hands he's kind of mourning calling this timeout well UNC gets another chance, and then the kick's even worse than the yeah. first attempt. And App State gets to celebrate. They obviously lost the game, but you know, quick takeaways from this: Drake May was not really that fantastic in this one. Yeah, I mean, I looked at it and I said, "Look again, Drake May not fantastic." And we talked about it last week. He wasn't necessarily a star last week, and we kind of started to raise the question: like, did he forget how to play football? There always seems to be one or two quarterbacks who really struggle. I'm not saying that he's terrible or anything, but he's going to have to start showing us something before we consider him in that upper tier anymore. I think a couple of showings in a row should have us questioning, and especially against not necessarily stellar defenses. I don't think anyone would say that South Carolina and App State boast, you know, such incredible defenses that you can excuse, you know, mediocre pedestrian performances. Um, But, you know, again, stuff got weird and it was kind of fun to watch. So I'm always down for a fun overtime game and, you know, they, they came out on top. To me, it kind of felt like, you know, Sully landing in the Hudson where it was just like it, it's kind of a disaster. 
and a lot of stuff kind of went wrong, but you still found a way to survive. That's kind of what it felt like for UNC was there were just so many disasters for them. And they just, they found a way to squeak out the win when they didn't really deserve it. So Tom Hanks is going to get casted as Mac Brown in the biopic of this movie. I hope so. I hope so. All right. (laughs) Uh, Tell you what, North Carolina, I, I think their defense is better this year. Uh, but it's very clear that week one, the numbers were boosted a little bit by playing by playing South Carolina, a, a team that didn't have an offensive line. A shout out to Marion Hampton, the Tar Heels, who had an absolute day, 234 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. Uh, Nate Knoll, in a losing effort, had over 100 yards for App State as well. Um, Joey Aguilar through for nearly 300 yards for App State. So you know what? Uh, I was a little bit down on uh, on the Mountaineers coming into this year. I, I think I might be retracting that. I think they might be a, a contender for the Sun Belt Championship. Uh, final game to mention, kind of by name, before we run down some of the scoreboards and get out of here for the night. Notre Dame, 45, NC State, 24. We had a little bit of back and forth over this uh, in the preview, and uh, Notre Dame was a 7.5-point favorite here. Sam Hartman does what Sam Hartman does. I initially was really kind of excited to see that NC State's defense came to play. Now, they had a massive rain delay in this game. And for whatever reason, NC State did not come out of the locker room able to produce what they did in kind of the first quarter before the delay hit. Uh, It was a true stalemate. Neither team able to score or do anything offensively. And then... Out of the break, Sam Hartman kind of blitzkrieged uh, the Wolfpack. Uh, but it's the 29th straight win over an ACC team for Notre Dame. That is by far the longest streak alive today. And Sam Hartman joins uh, an elite group. He becomes the, or he is now 10th in FBS history with 120 total touchdown passes thrown. He threw four more today. This kid's been slinging passes since 2018, so he's certainly the senior citizen uh, out there in uh, in South Bend, Indiana. Seems like Sam Hartman is mounting quite a Heisman campaign through his first three weeks of the season. Well, and I said, and you know, you were not super happy about, it, but I said easy money for for Notre Dame, and I thought this is going to be a pretty simple win for them, and it turns out that ended up working out and you can say that it was the rain delay or whatever else at the end of the day i think notre dame is the much better team i've loved watching them so far um, i've loved seeing what they've been able to do put on the field that is why i decided to switch my playoff pick last minute uh, before we ended up making those and i'm loving that decision right now notre dame looks fantastic sam hartman is absolutely that guy and you know I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from here if you ask me that acc win streak is a little bit more in jeopardy when they go to play duke as opposed to anything that Clemson's doing after some of the stuff we saw today as well. Yeah, and Sam Hartman, credit to him for exercising a lot of NC State demons today because Mm -hmm. if you saw the breakdowns that all the preview shows are talking about this morning, he had not been good against Dave Doran's defense uh, throughout his career at Wake Forest, but he exercised those demons today. Great way for Notre Dame to start that uh, coming out of the rain delay with an 80-yard touchdown run. I don't know if you guys saw this. They had to send people to the concession stands to buy hot dogs and bratwurst. Yeah, I did see that, yeah. They, they uh, didn't bring enough snacks to get through a long rain delay. So <laughs> um, I guess credit to the NC State concession stands, too, fueling Notre Dame to victory. 
Well, and the funny thing, they asked Marcus, uh, they asked Marcus Freeman on the end of that if he had any, and he said, "No, I didn't have any, but I think I'm gonna go have some now." And I'm like, "Yeah, victory dogs, <laughs> <laughs> victory hot dog, victory bratwurst is the best kind." Oh yeah. Um. All right. Well, those are kind of the major stories. Now, if you haven't heard your team mentioned, like, if you're an interested party in the Cyhawk game. Let's talk about it right now. We are talking about it in the Big 12 scoreboard because that's what's first on my run sheet. But we'll lead <laughs> off with you, Iowa and Iowa State. Um, guys, once again, Iowa fails to hit their point total. Uh, Brian Ferentz is continuing to dig himself a hole. And guys, he even had help from the defense. He had a pick six today <laughs> and we couldn't get to 25 points. But Iowa does win in Ames 20-13. to 13. Uh any any real takeaways from that game other than hunting is winning and defense apparently wins championships up in Iowa? Typical Cyhawk game. Uh, bet the under and tune in for a lot of defense. Yeah, heard some yodel in there. Not enough, the, but we heard some yodel in. The over-under for this game was 36. And uh, if you can do the quick calculations, we did not get there. It felt like we were <laughs> going to. Iowa State was driving with a minute 30 left. Yeah, uh, didn't obviously get it in the end zone. Didn't didn't get a score to to tie it up. Um, big fourth down stop for Iowa there on that drive, and so we not only have an Iowa cover, we also have a under hit, which is just kind of the universe smiling down on us. Uh, elsewhere in the Big Twelve, number fifteen, Kansas State whoops Troy. I thought this defense for the Trojans would keep a minute. Will Howard said absolutely not. 250 yards, three touchdowns. Say that again. Big statement from the Wildcats. Great. Great. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is not just your normal group of five team. This is a uh, title contender in the Sun Belt, and Kansas State's able to run away with that. Oklahoma. Guys, do we need to talk about the Sooners having a good defense again? They beat SMU 28-11. to I'm not really surprised that SMU's defense was able to hold Oklahoma to such a median median point total. I am shocked that Oklahoma held SMU to 11 points. Yeah, uh, we saw it firsthand last week. Uh, Preston Stone is the real deal, and for Oklahoma's defense to be holding them to only 11 is a big, big statement for them. Only giving up five and a half points per game. If you can keep that up, I think they're going to win a lot of games. Really, really unfortunate for Preston Stone, too. They were driving. I could smell the cover play coming. We were getting 15 in the hook, and then he just missed his running back on, like, a dump-off pass and, and throws it right to a linebacker. Um, not not the best way to end for the ponies there, but uh, SMU has their eyes set on the American. I think they're going to be the probably the leading group of five contender between them and Tulane. I, I think they've got a great shot. Uh, BYU blows out Southern Utah. West Virginia blows out Duquesne after they gave up the first score of the game. And folks were saying, does Neil Brown make an appearance after halftime? Cincinnati comes away with the win over Pitt. Now, we're not high on Pitt, but I told you in the preview of this Big 12 that Emory Jones could be a difference maker for Cincinnati. Now, he didn't have big stats, but early on when Cincinnati built a lead and pulled away from Pitt, he was the man leading the charge, just 125 yards and two touchdowns, but he did enough to get you a win uh, on the road against the Pitt Panthers team. I'm not going to say that Cincinnati is going to make any noise, but I, just keep your eye on them. Just keep your eye on them. They've got a lot of games at home this season. 
final uh, UCF kicks a walk-off field goal over Boise State. Rice beats Houston. Uh, Trey, I know you were really pumped about this. How about the yeah. Rice Owls beating the Cougars? Dude, JT Daniels, Luke McCaffrey, and company. I wrote the preview article for our magazine this summer, so I have a little soft spot for the Owls, but a huge, huge win in the Bayou Bucket in double overtime. I thought they were going to blow Houston out at the beginning, so credit to Houston <laughs> for getting back in this game. But I think they were up, four, yeah, they were up fourteen nothing or twenty one nothing or something like that at the beginning, and Houston comes storming back. But a really fun football game that came down to a missed two point conversion in double overtime. Love to see it. You hate to see it, depending on which side you're on there. Uh, TCU blows out Nichols. And then Kansas handled Illinois quite well. Uh, Jalen Daniels is back, 277 yards in his return from injury, two touchdowns, and a pick for the Jayhawks there. Moving over to the Conference of Champions, we've talked about USC's blowing out Stanford. That one's obviously not final. Auburn is really on the ropes right now. They're trailing 10-7, to 7, trying to drive against the Cal Bears, and Oklahoma State is leading Arizona State right now. But the finals that we haven't already talked about, Garrett Washington keeps on humming. Uh, number eight, Washington wins 43-10 over Tulsa. Michael Penance with another gigantic game, uh, 409 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, they got some good play up there in Washington. I got to tell you what, Michael Penix, he slangs that thing. Man, he he can really get the ball downfield. And, and I'm excited for him. I think that this is the best product we've seen in the Pac-12 in a long time. And it's nice to have a, a diverse group up there, right? It's nice to have, you know, Washington, Oregon, both being competitive, USC being competitive, and then, you know, maybe Utah makes a return. Colorado finally looking good. You know, Pac-12 is a lot of fun to watch this year. My... Odunze for Bolitnikov campaign uh, continues to to gain momentum. Not only that was a good pick. Did Odunze have seven catches for a bucks, uh, one hundred and seven, and a score? He also had a rushing touchdown today. So you know, however we can take him, go ahead. Might win the Doak Walker. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, most efficient rusher in the country. Uh, we'll take all the praise, however we can get it. Mississippi State knocks off Arizona 31-24 in overtime. That was a close game. Mississippi State jumped out to an early lead. It felt like they were going to run away with it. And then Jaden Delora and the Wildcats clawed their way back, a 36-yard field goal to send it to overtime, bought the Wildcats a little extra uh, time there in Stark Vegas, but they weren't ultimately able to win it. And then, Trey, we were completely wrong about this game. UCLA yeah. – kind of boat races San Diego State you know you're you've kind of built your your presidential campaign on power five teams go to to g5 stadiums to die but UCLA took control of this game early and never let San Diego State in this game yeah I guess the state of California is just exempt from this rule because Oregon State took care of business at San Jose last week and now UCLA is taking care of business at San Diego State so just apply that rule only outside of the state of California uh, over to the Southeastern Conference, guys, we may have a little bit of a problem. The SEC is not looking super elite right now. Uh, we've talked about A&M losing. Obviously, LSU got boat raced last week. But even when you look at like Georgia, and of course, Alabama losing earlier today as well, you look at Georgia, you look at Tennessee, LSU, even today against Grambling all really slow starts like the the final scores are deceiving it was a 31 uh, point second quarter for georgia that you know put that game away but guys 
They didn't score a point against the Cardinals in the first quarter. Does the SEC have a problem? Are, are we seeing a little bit of regression in what has been the true conference of champions here in college football? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, good. Get sorry. I was gonna say I think it's fair to say that. I think you know if you look at some of these slow starts. I mean, what do we look up at? Like Tennessee was like six to three over Austin P for a little while yeah. there. They're, they're yeah. No, it's barely hanging out against six to three. <laughs> right. And like some of these teams just look like, I mean, they're, they're stinky. They're just not good. Um, <laughs> and, and like, again, it's not that they're awful teams. It's not that they're the worst in the world or that they're not going to win games and that the whole SEC is going to miss a bowl game or anything like that, you know, but uh, they don't have the top end. And I think that's kind of what the portal is doing right now is the portal's taking from a lot of SEC rosters and moving it out of conference um, because, you know, traditionally the SEC just stacked talent and you could kind of develop it on your roster. But now we're seeing kind of the limitations of that when you've got either really young players having to go and figure it out or, you know, just guys that have left your roster that you thought, you know, maybe that guy could have been a contributor and he's not there anymore. So, you know, it's not, you know, the sky is falling. It's not, you know, everything's terrible for the SEC. They'll still probably end up having a lot of really good teams and they'll put someone in the playoff and Georgia might win it all. Right. But they got to figure some stuff out quick. The adjustments that need to get made need to get made. They they haven't lost an embarrassing game yet. I'll say that. And they've had opportunities sure. to lose very embarrassing games, but the depth isn't there this year, I don't think. And it's going to be wide open. I, I think the SEC is going to be really, really fun to follow this year because it's going to be wide open. You're not really going to know who's has the advantage week in and week out going to be impossible to bet on the sec and going to be really really fun to see just who emerges out of the chaos each and every week yeah kentucky didn't put away eastern kentucky that game was in doubt late arkansas struggled with kent state missouri it it took well into the fourth quarter i mean that game was in doubt that was a close game all the way through missouri only beats middle tennessee state 23 19 florida with a slow start against mcneese and south carolina was tied with Furman. Uh, early on in that game. They gave up 21 to the Paladins. Uh, let's move over to the Big Ten. Uh, listen, ho-hum for Michigan, right? 35-7 over UNLV. You guys were right on this. The under in, in this game was was an absolute free, free money giveaway. Ohio State doesn't blow out Youngstown State, 35-7, but they do take care of business. McCord throws a couple of touchdown passes. 160 receiving yards for Marvin Harrison Jr. He's back. We knew he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, he He's an absolute stud. Penn State destroys Delaware. Drew Aller didn't have to do much, just 204 yards and a touchdown, but Penn State was able to run the football. And this offense is going to be a whole lot of fun. Now, 63 points is awesome. Can that defense step up week in, week out against the Big Ten schedule? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Purdue gets on the board. They win 24-17 over Virginia Tech. Another weird rain-delayed game. This was close all the way throughout, but Hudson Card and the boys ultimately pull it out. I, I hate to see that as a as a kind of from afar Virginia Tech fan. I was rooting for the Hokies there. Uh, they don't get that one done. Northwestern blows out UTEP. Who had that? As a on dog. Their as a home dog. <laughs> They were a home dog. I think at, at kick, it had swung to Northwestern minus a point. But when we covered it in our preview, they were a home dog. UTEP's, UTEP's bad, guys. UTEP's abysmal. Uh, that was a, that was a don't, don't, look, 
look at what's going on over here in, in Evanston. Um, that yeah. was bad, bad, bad things. Uh, Trey or Garrett, do you have anything to say for your Maryland Terrapins? They really struggled with, with Pogie's Charlotte squad. They won by 18. I don't know what you're talking about, man. This is fantastic. They were down 14 nothing at one point. I'll they, hear they nothing of it. I half. don't want to listen to things that make me feel worse <laughs> about Maryland right now. So, no, I'm going to stick with them. Obviously, teams are allowed to have rough games. Teams are allowed to come out and not play their best. You get one. <laughs> there's there's their one. <laughs> So you don't want to burn. You don't want to burn your bad game too early in the season, Maryland. As we've always said about the Maryland Terrapins, they will only have one bad game. It's no, I'm saying I've said this before on the podcast. If you're a team that is expected to perform well, you can have one like bad game where you barely yeah. survive, like Georgia last yeah. year against Missouri. You don't get two, and I still talk about you as a really good team. You don't get two. Uh, tell you what, Rutgers, my Scarlet Knights, who I wrote that preview for them, uh, they blow away Temple. To improved two and zero on the season, you know, just, as the, just as all as we all predicted, they'd start out two and zero. Kyle Monike, I have to shout him out. Electric running back for Rutgers in a running back room that's deep, but no one had really separated themselves coming into the season. Then you had injuries. Uh, Monike has, has really taken a step forward. He was great last week in the opener, 165 yards on the ground this week as well. I, I'm just saying. There's a path to a bowl game for Rutgers, and if they get there, I will be first in line to to congratulate them because, boy, I've been hoping that would be true since the offseason. Uh, ACC, real quick on this one. Florida State, drubs Southern Miss, 66-13. We wondered if there would be a little bit of a hangover after that big LSU win. There was no hangover for Florida State, maybe for their fans, but not for the football team. Uh, Duke beats Lafayette in a no-doubter. Clemson trailed early to Charleston Southern. Cade Klubnick threw an abysmal pick six, and it looked like, oh, my gosh, what is going on in Death Valley? They come out in the second half. They score uh, 28 in the third, 14 in the fourth, all unanswered by Charleston Southern. Cade Klubnick ends up having a decent stat line, 315, four touchdowns, and a pick. Any concerns about Clemson two games into the season that we haven't already addressed. Like, do we feel like they actually might be worse than we even thought after the Duke game? No, I, they came back and took care of business today. I'm, I'm not really that worried about the slow start. We saw slow starts all around the country today. Weather was weird. I, I'm not that worried about it. Kate Klubnick actually looked really, really good after that pick six that you're talking about. So I think I actually walked away more encouraged about Clemson after this game than uh, I was, especially in the middle of that debacle. Yeah, this game was a net negative for me. They start slow. They finish strong. It's Charleston Southern. You're, you're supposed to beat them 66 to 17. So you're just supposed to do it in a slightly different order than they did. You're supposed to get up like 35 to 7, and then you let up a touchdown because you put in all your backups or something, and, and that's not what happened. So net negative for me. There's still a team that got beat pretty bad by Duke. So, you know, we'll – We'll wait and see what happens so they play another good team that's that's worth anything. Uh, despite 314 yards and three touchdowns from A.J. Swan, Wake Forest knocks off Vanderbilt at home 36-20. Fun, game. fun back and forth game. Yeah, tough look for the SEC once again. Uh, Boston College holds off noted powerhouse Holy Cross to win by three. Trey, uh, you had a little bit of interest in this game. James Madison knocks off Virginia, uh, 36-35. Care to comment on that final score? Uh, well, we almost had a Disney movie, and we didn't have a Disney movie, but it didn't work out for me either way. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> 
Syracuse improves to 2-0. and They blow out Western Michigan. And, guys, once again, we're asking the question, is Syracuse good? Um, Our favorite game show. I love it. Oh. Back again. Jared Garrett Trader almost has 300 yards through the air and a score. Uh, we've talked about a couple of group of five games, SMU. We talked about Tulane. Is it time to panic about UTSA? They only beat Texas State 20-13. to 13. Frank Harris has literally no protection. I mean, he would be as well protected if the three of us were blocking for him because that kid is stitched together with bailing wire and duct tape right now. He leads a gutsy performance. Um, they score in all four quarters, but only 20 points. It's another slow offensive showing for UTSA. The defense stepped up this week, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe last year was kind of a one-off thing, if we're going to have a little bit of a, a slump here in the in 2023 for Jeff Trailer and the boys. Yeah, Sure is looking that way. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting ready to write him off completely yet. It's going to be a long season in the American if they can't figure that out, though. Yeah, they, they still got the talent on the roster, but it's you do have to start asking the question. Uh, Liberty beats New Mexico State. I, I think the, the week zero hype for the Aggies has tied off. That might be the last you hear of New Mexico State for – for a little bit, Air Force beats Sam Houston in a game that nobody wanted to watch, 13-3. to I had some ledger interest in that game. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It was, how, much did, how much were they supposed to cover by? 13 and a half. They almost yeah, got well, there. Yeah. Almost. Sam Houston for being the last FBS team to get on the scoreboard, too. I guess that's true. <laughs> oh, that's, that's not something you want said about your football program. Um, listen, we've talked UConn probably more than most, and uh, yeah, not in a good way tonight. 14 points scored against Georgia State. They lose to a bad Panthers team. Southern Illinois, shout out the FCS. They beat Northern Illinois, who we had really good Twitter engagement from Northern Illinois fans that were saying, oh, look at this. We're we're going to beat the Salukis this week, and then we're going to go into MAC play, and we're, we're feeling good. Not, not the nope. case. They, they <laughs> lose to the folks from Carbondale this week. Uh, Marshall beats East Carolina 31-13 as well. Uh, guys, loaded slate this week. Long podcast, long recap. It's late into Sunday morning here as we're recording this. Uh, I'm looking forward to week three. I think this was a very – I think it lived up to the hype that we build it. And uh, that's all you can ask as a college football fan. Do we get our money's worth? I absolutely feel like we got that this week. Uh, a lot to look at going forward as far as conference dynamics is the Pac-12 suddenly emerging as the favorite to maybe contend for a national championship. What's How deep is the Big Ten and is the SEC regressing? We'll answer all of those questions and more as we continue here on the three technique. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. how about that?